Well, uh, welcome. I'm excited. Um, you know, it's it, it's kind of a fair fair turn here, I guess. Uh, I was uh, the first guest on your podcast, and I finally got my podcast going. So I'm su- super honored to have you here, and for us to be able to get into some great conversation, like we always do, uh, on the maiden voyage of the Sebastian Show. Um, and so I want to start just kind of getting into your story and your path, but also how we met. Um, we had a, a mutual friend uh, a few years back uh, that you were working with at the time that I had known, and you guys had started a marketing company together and was co- constantly talking me into getting into social media. And so I really blame you mostly uh, for getting me into social media and your team because I was very hesitant to do it for a very long time. It's too busy building my company to do it. And uh, <laughs> now I only regret, my only regret now is I wish I would have started five years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, but it's been great getting to know you. And I'm, I was, as we were saying, kind of before we started recording, one of my goals is to build a league or a community of extraordinary people who are able to bring consciousness to business, right? Where it's, I like the term conscious capitalism. However, that's has its own coined meanings now and is in some circles somewhat cliche, but I like the idea. It's like we're using the capitalist system for good. And I think the system is only as good as the people, and I think that's fair for really any system. Um, but you've always struck me as one of those people. We're able to, to move into a wide range of conversations. Um, you know, you're very conscious. You're seeking uh, a higher level of, of looking at the world, as far as I can tell. And so that gets me really excited. So I'm excited to kind of unpack that a little bit with you and kind of hear your origin story. And, you know, it's fun to figure out from a a past conversation, you and I both grew up in and around the Pacific Northwest or the Northwest corner of North America. So why don't we start there? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and and where you come from, you hail from? (laughs) Yeah, so Vancouver, Canada, uh, evergreens and rain. Is where the rain comes from, actually, yeah. But um, the, the interesting thing about that is, in the, that climate, you can do pretty much every activity in a period of 24 hours. You can snowboard, golf, surf if you want to. If you wanted to. Hit the beach. Yeah. So <laughs> it's all it's all possible. And that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, I grew up pretty active hiking and, and in nature, snowboarding. Um, but, but my dad was a dentist. His dad was a dentist. And so naturally... I was supposed to be a dentist right. and uh, <laughs> disrupted the pattern. <laughs> yeah, and we're now not there. <laughs> and so I went to business school and uh, uh, basically was like, my whole thing in life was how can I do the bare minimum to achieve the end result? So I would literally go to school in high school and I would calculate like, okay, can I just not show up to this exam and still pass? And I would be running the numbers. Okay, my grades here, the exams worth this. Like, it's like, dude, if I just put the same amount of time I put into like, to cutting the corners into actually doing the work, would have just I would have done great. But it was because I didn't didn't resonate with me school. I wanted to challenge the norm. I felt inside me, I like I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. I want to yes. do the opposite. And so then I, w- I went to this leadership camp when I was like sixteen, actually in California, UCLA, uh, called Leap Leadership Leadership Excellence Accelerating Potential. It's for youth. And I learned. I met this guy. I was like, dude, you're successful. What do you do? He's like, I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> it's like what is that fancy word and i was like i was like he explained to me i'm like oh i've seen people like you on tv you know on the bachelorette the guys you know they'd say entrepreneur on their net yeah <laughs> i'm like this is an interesting like thing and i always was gravitated gravi- gravitated towards it and so when i met this guy i was like wait this is a career path i went home and said dad <laughs> i don't want to be a dentist um i'll go to business school to appease you but i think i want to do something else how do you respond to that? That's tough, right? Generations of dentists. Yeah, so his, his response was like, as long as you go to school, you're good. Well, going into my fourth year of business school, I started the company. It was making, it was doing well. I was like making a couple hundred grand uh, in sales uh, when I first started in the first few months. And I said, Dad, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to drop out. Give me 12 months to become financially independent. If I'm not, I'll come back after 12 months. Well, he didn't talk to me for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in that six months, I became financially independent. <laughs> and now how's the conversation going? And now it's literally he told someone, one of his staff, like jokingly, but he said, Dylan, in my next life, I want to be you. Because instead of following what he told me, because he followed what his dad told yes. him, I'm sure there's a path 
in my dad's life where had he not listened to, he would have and followed what would have made him happy. He would have diverged into a whole different world where maybe he'd be, he's not unhappy, but maybe he'd be truly fulfilled. Undoubtedly, he went through a similar season of his life where maybe he had passions or desires that were outside of the path of becoming a dentist, but he defaulted to what his dad wanted. And so to see you not do that and become your own man, there's a, there's, I talk about this a lot. There's a rite of passage for men that's really important and many don't get where going from being a child to an adult is becoming your own person. And then sometimes that process of doing that makes it look like you're rebelling against your parents, mm. right? And it's not, I mean, it, it can be, I've seen that in a very unhealthy way, but it's becoming your own person and you'll know it because then when you go back to that conversation with your mom or your dad, they now see you as an equal. It doesn't mean they're not your parent, right? They're still your parent, but they look you in the eyes as a man, right? You've become your own person. And a lot of, a lot of kids don't ever get through that phase. And so when they go home, they're still treated like a child. They're still thought of as a child because they never became their own person. And so it's a very scary thing to step out and listen to your heart instead of a, of a parent, uh, especially if they're the ones paying the bills or that you have a relationship with them where you don't want to, um, you know, disrespect them or dishonor them in some way. So I applaud you for doing that. I know how tough that can be, um, but that, I couldn't think of a cooler statement. In my next life, I want to be my son. Like, that's incredible. So, so third generation dentist, he said, no, I'm going to go do things my own way. And, and I think a, even a generation ago, um, certainly I'm, I'm, I'm like at the end of the Gen X, beginning of the millennial. Xennial like is technically the generation I belong to, right? The end of the, the early 80s. Um, it was still kind of an unpopular thing to say, I'm not going to go to school. Right? It was still like, eh, like, there were more and more people feeling that way. But there's like this sense of, <gasps> I still have to do it, right? Like, I'm not going to make it if I'm not. It was, <clears throat> from a marketing standpoint, brilliant, right? The people were, were literally terrified to not go to <laughs> school and they would go into debt for something that we know now is, is, in many cases, close to useless. What would you say to, we'll say Gen Z coming up right now about school? What's your opinions on school now? Knowing like, hey, I was literally, a, and you're not alone. I don't know how many startup founders I know have three quarters of a degree done and left <laughs> before the degree is done. Yeah. But what would you say to, to a Gen Z guy coming up now? What's your opinion on school academia? Well, I, I did end up <coughs> going back to college. Oh, you did? Okay. I finished. Okay. I actually... Well, explain that then, because you, you got independent. You, you, you did what you agreed to do. So did you do it to honor your dad or what? It, what or you just I did, like... I did. And okay. what I did is because I was That's making so cool. money, I ended up outsourcing the work. <laughs> Literally, I went on Fiverr. <laughs> but the thing is, there was still time going. So I actually dropped out a second time <laughs> on the online school. So I didn't graduate. No, but it's I, the I same idea. It, but it's I'm the same idea. It. So I didn't graduate, but yeah, I'm finished with college. Nice. So, um, but yeah, so optimizing stuff, right? Uh, outsourcing it. And that was kind of like, to me at the time, it was like, there was the part of me which was like, I'm just going to do this so I can say I did it. It's like, part yep. of, it's like funny to say in the future. Yep. Uh, and school now is like, for me, it was an opportunity for me to grow for a few years. Because if I went to become an entrepreneur when I was 18 out of high school, like, I probably wouldn't be. 100%, right? Because you're saying, if I fill in the blanks, you're saying, it gave me a structure and kept the guardrails on long enough for me to get a little bit of discipline under my belt where I was learning how to become a functional, responsible adult. Yes, exactly. And it would have been, at least um, theoretically, would have been harder to do that without structure and discipline that very often the, the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey is for a lot of people. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing is like, I think if there was another vehicle where a young adult, especially young men, like, gosh, they don't, I didn't know what to do. If there was a vehicle for a young man to go and kind of have that structure, but be able to find himself in the process, that probably would have been the better path for me. Yep. Because I spent three years, again, trying to do the bare minimum, and I got good grades in, in college because I was taking classes I kind of wanted to a little bit more. But um, but the, here's the reality. So in 2019, so quite a few years ago, there was a study done about the amount of people on social media that are making six, figure, six figures. Uh, there's over two million. That was four years ago. They haven't updated it, but you can obviously understand the number is much higher now. I'd like to get that data. But there's be making money on social media as a, that's as a creator. There's infinite other opportunities to make money on social media and on the internet. But if you can figure that out, like that's real now. Yes. But 
my mom, I got a, we got a mutual friend, Andre Jick, mm-hmm. who uh, he's got like 2 million subscribers on YouTube. He makes, you know, he makes phenomenal money. And uh, last time my parents came to town that we went out and she's like, what does he do? I was like, oh, he does, he makes videos. Like, <laughs> like I don't understand. Like, oh, look, Google just paid him this much for a sponsorship. And she just doesn't get it. She's like, for what though? And even if I show her the video, she still doesn't understand it. Right. So with that said, how can I expect her to even understand like the opportunity that exists or anyone in that generation when she can't even looking at it, seeing the bank statement, still can't grasp it? Because it's a it's a it's a frame of reference that she can't draw on. So over the age of it's pretty interesting. And I'm uh, in the middle of writing my book and this is something um, one of the chapters is on this. After the age of 35, specifically in the scientific community, um, it's con- you're, if you don't come up with a theory by the time you're 35 years old, it's expected you won't come up with a new theory. And the reason is, is because your mind begins to crystallize around a particular way of seeing the world. And the opportunity cost of that is crystallizing your mind to see the world one way means you're eliminating it from seeing it any other. There are definitely things you can do to consciously prevent that. And not everybody falls in the path, but the vast majority of humans do. They get a crystallized way of thinking, which is why when you look at human evolution from a psychological standpoint, it's so damn slow. It takes entire generations to create new ways of doing things because we get stuck in our ways. And so without judgment, and and, and, and I will say there are things that we can learn from past generations and I hope that we do and we don't dis- disrespect them because they can't quite understand new technology and new ways of doing it. They were that generation before looking back going like, yeah, it's, this is a new way of doing things. But it is hard for them to understand, not all of them, but it can be very hard to understand because they don't have a frame of reference to it. It doesn't make sense to them. Plus, most of us are talking about baby boomers, right? Some of us maybe are talking about Gen Xers, which is hard to believe, but most of us, our parents are baby boomers. Well, there was a formula for the world that worked for the baby boomers and it worked well for them. So it's easy for them to go, well, that's the way you should do it because it worked for them, but that it worked for them in a very short season in history. And we know it only worked for a short season in history, which was go to school, get good grades so you can get uh, into a good college, get good grades so you can go to a a company that will treat you well and give you a gold watch and you retire, right? (laughs) And it's like, it worked, but for like 15 years, but that there was a whole generation that got indoctrinated in seeing the world that way. And so they tend to continue to proselytize that belief system, even though that functionally has not been a reality for some time. And so, you know, it can be hard for them to get like, wait, how is it that you're getting paid for views on YouTube? You know, how is it that you're creating videos and, you know, companies are paying you to do that? Um, and so I, I think just to frame that and we can keep going. For those listening, I would say one, Learn to be your own person, but understand why you're doing what you're doing, being able to articulate it. And two, don't judge the last generation for not getting it because you are going to be that generation statistically within the next 10 to 20 years and honor what they have learned because there are, there are things that we can learn from past generations. And we have a much bigger problem in humanity if we start disrespecting the generations behind us, arrogantly thinking, oh, we're so much better, which by the way has been history you know, forever and ever. There are things we can learn from them. It's just things that we can also move forward with. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I think with family and parents, it's like it's so, so it's actually hard to listen to their advice, especially as a teenager. But if I take, in my case, it was successful. I coach soccer. So, I'd, you know, I'd in a wealthy part of town intentionally so I could network with the wealthy parents. Brilliant. And I would have a successful parent I'd be sitting down with. He would say the exact same thing my dad's saying. And they'd be like, ah, yeah, right. <laughs> and then I would go back to my dad literally and be like, dad, you're right. Like he said this, it's like, and he's like, yeah, I've been saying that for five years. This <laughs> <laughs> like, and, uh, so it's, it's, I don't know what it is. It's like maybe the reluctance to listen to parents, but I know as you were talking, I identified the pivotal point when my life changed, which was, I learned something in my life. I think it was at this camp where it was like, oh my, everything my parents say, not everything is true. And that made me think like, okay, so what other things have I been conditioned to by either my parents or society Mm. that is telling me something that's actually factually incorrect? And so then it took me on this journey of reading books and educating myself and trying to find find truth. 
I read Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle when I yep. was like 16. I didn't understand Beautiful. it. Beautiful. I didn't understand it. And, uh, but you know, I, I, I read it. I'm hearing about, you know, being present and all this other stuff. And then I went on a spiritual journey, read uh, The Alchemist, mm-hmm. which to date is probably... Uh, top, know, my it's still top five for me. And I read it okay. when I was 19 years old and it, I'm getting the chills. I'm getting literally getting chills just thinking about that book because of how much it hit me. It's, it's one that I can go back to. It's been a while since I've read it, but it was one for a few years I was reading every year. Mm. Uh, so I, I resonate with that book deeply. You know what's cool about it is that book is not tactical. It, it, it doesn't, it's not intended to be tactical. But if you, if you listen, every single sentence, there's literally every single sentence, there's a lesson. And it's, it's teaching principle and concept. And it, to me, it's, it's a story of the rite of passage into adulthood and finding who you are. Right. Right? And so you're right, it isn't tactical. It's not a how-to manual. It's teaching principle and how do we confront and deal with the doubt within ourselves, within the world, right? The three, the three, uh, uh, what is it? The three confrontations of life, self, others, and nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and who you become in the process and figuring out who you are in that process and that sense of destiny. I, it's fantastic. I think for every young, for young men and women, but I think... Um, it's a great read for anyone, but specifically when you're in your teens, that's, that's amazing. The takeaway that it activated for me was, uh, omens. So there's subtle signs that direct you on your course in life and to tune into those signs. Yes. That's one. Two, when he got to the end destination, it really was where he started. And so for that, it's like we, it's a choice. Every single time we can choose and it's really just, it's the journey of discovering, following the omens and the person we're becoming, that's really it. Not the end result, because we could have had that all along yes. if we just yes. tapped into it. Ugh. So so powerful that trying to get people to understand, especially we'll call youthful exuberance, um, who you become in the journey of what you seek will be far more valuable to you than the destination. Right? It's who you become in that process. And that is so often missed in a world that is chasing the Instagram reel of someone else's life, right? And Instagram is generally the high moments in people's lives. And so then that's what people are chasing instead of realizing, no, it's the person you became in the process of being able to achieve those high moments that you will be most proud of. So I love that. And Omens, I won't go into many of mine, but you may have not noticed the address downstairs is 333. That is one of my guiding, my guiding numbers. So, um, and that was one of those things where it was, we took a big bet taking in this space. We moved in right before COVID. Uh, and so we were shut down for some time. Like, fuck, we get this huge space and now we're not in it. And those are one of, that's one of my omens. And I, I you know, it brings me back to the alchemist. So on that note, uh, the person you become on the journey is better than the end result. Easy for you to say, you're sitting in a high rise of, you know, of a, a beautiful building in the midst of California, one of the most expensive zip codes in, in the country. Don't remind me. <laughs> so, you know, it, looking down at everyone else, like you should just, you know, become, be happy and experience it. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's, that is a reasonable thought to come to mind. If I reflect on myself, like, and I used to listen to podcasts, like someone says that, it's like, yeah, easy for you to say. It's funny that you say that. I, I, I think I've, I realized I wouldn't describe it this way, but for the, for the context of our conversation, say, I know that I have arrived when I am judged as a rich white dude who came from money, mm. right? And I don't, I don't get that much on Instagram, but TikTok is rife with, because TikTok's obviously aged down. You're, you're generally dealing with high school mentality, adolescent mentality um, more than not. And that's usually where you get these kind of very emotional, uh, you know, assumptive um, comments, but that is a common one. I'm like, and I haven't, part of it, I haven't done a very good job of telling my story because I don't really enjoy talking about myself very much. Um, <laughs> I just noticed this mic like, <laughs> was like sitting <laughs> on my belly button. <laughs> good thing I put on a little bit of weight, otherwise it would have fallen all the way down. <laughs> sitting on my it's a funny thing for me to be in a season of life where those who don't know me, that's their assumption, right? And, and that's, you know, and when in fact I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in a sister city to Vancouver outside of Seattle, right? Seattle and Vancouver are largely considered sister cities and they do feel incredibly similar. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in the country. I grew up um, with a single mom who was trying to raise two boys by herself, which is I, I can't even, having two boys myself, I can't imagine 
Uh, I can't imagine that. And you know, we, we don't want for anything. And financially, I'm not worried about taking care of them, which even with that, there's still a huge sense of responsibility and stress to raising boys, right? So somehow she pulled that off. But when she passed away, I was in my early 20s and I was the executive of her state because I was the oldest son. And so in the United States, when that happens, they send the oldest son their earnings. Right? Your, so in this case, my mom's earnings her, um, for her entire life because it's based, it's a social security payout um, settle up, which died with her. It didn't go anywhere, but they wanted to show me what she made. So my entire childhood, I saw her reported earnings of which was at poverty level my entire childhood, which made sense. I will say I didn't, I didn't feel poor and it wasn't like I, I don't ever remember starving or being hungry. I just, what I remember is money was involved in every discussion. Mm. Everything came down to money. Like, so, and I, at 11 years old, somebody handed me a book, um, I think and grow rich. It was like this old dude. And I don't, I don't know if, you know, it was just, she's like, teach, read this 11 year old kid. I'm like, I have an 11 year old. I'm like trying to get him to read that book would be <laughs> challenging. But I read the book and it, it, it like w- awoken or like I, I, something in me remembered a principle and I went to work, um, trying to figure out how to take care of myself financially. So my first job, um, well, my first business, I was 11 years old. My first job was until I was 14. Cause well, turns out you can't get a job under the age of 14 or 15 because <laughs> it's illegal. Uh, really funny, strange. But um, so I realized very early in life that business was the path for me because it, it allowed me to take back control of my finances. Uh, but I didn't come from wealth. And, and that was a very long-winded way of explaining. Like, I get it. Like, it's, it's like trying to tell somebody, I deal with this in my own business, uh, and I do coach a lot of, you know, young 20-something guys. And sometimes... I'll run into a guy who's like, I really want a bright green Lamborghini or I just want a Lamborghini or whatever. Part of me wants to go, dude, you don't want a Lamborghini. This is piss poor uh, choice and in, in investment in money. It's not an investment. But, <laughs> but then I realize, well, that's easy for me to say. Right? I'm on the other side of that. I'm like, well, that, that isn't that valuable. And so I, don't, I almost never talk somebody out of that because if it's something they really want, the motivation to get that, that's the journey right? Who they become in the process of being able to afford that is worth them going after it versus talking them or trying to talk them out of a Lamborghini and now they don't have a goal. Does it make sense? Yeah. So I've slowed that. I've slowed down that as, as instead of judging somebody's goals, it's helping them become the person capable of hitting those goals because I know within reason, and there are exceptions, unfortunately, um, as they develop into a person of character that can sustain wealth, they very often will update their value systems and they may grab a Lamborghini and drive it for six months and then go, been there, done that. It's cool. I'm going to go back to just driving a, a nice car. It's a really uh, self-aware observation you just made, which was while that person doesn't want the Lamborghini and it might serve them to tell them you don't want the Lamborghini, it's going to actually be better for them to pursue that and then buy it and realize that's not what they want. 100%. Within ethical limits and within in, in, uh, limits of integrity, I generally don't want to mess with somebody's motivation. And I'm, I get a little concerned if their motivation is revenge um, or to prove somebody wrong. But even that, those are hell of uh, strong motivators for people. Yeah. So it's like, I don't even want to mess with that. I just know if they're going to stay in my tutelage for long, we're eventually going to have to grow through that or it will be a double-edged sword, right? Mm. There will be no level of success that actually deals with the trauma or the wound. Right. But if it's motivating them to get to a certain level, it's like, okay, I'll take you through this journey. But at some point, we're going to have to grow through this and let go of revenge or proving somebody wrong. Yeah. So uh, your upbringing of being in that way, like it, uh, you know, I, I was on the other side of the train tracks. You know, my dad was a dentist. His dad was a dentist. Right. <laughs> so ironically, the- my mom worked for a dentist. She mm. was his office manager. So I was in and around that world. Uh, but anyway. Interesting. Yeah. But from a, you know, from a different place though. Right. And, yep. my, and my dad being able to dictate his hours, you know, he could take off a couple of weeks. And the thing is, is he had piles of student debt. The bit, it wasn't really operating. Like we weren't rich, you know, really when dentists, doctors, these people start to tap into it is once the kids, kind of, yeah. Once they're out of school is when now my dad starts making like 
you know, it starts stacking over time and he's paid off the house and then life becomes fun when he's like 55, 60. But by that point, like I'm not around. Right. So the thing for me is like, I don't know what's worse having a family that, uh, that can't support you or having a family that can, but chooses not to. Mm. Cause I was in the latter. And when I, he, he said, if you go to school, college, you'll always have a, a, a bed to sleep in. The moment you decide not to, you're going to start paying rent to be here or somewhere else. That's a, that's the, going back to what you're saying and you're making a point, it's a good one. There, that's part of the rite of passage of going from being a boy to being a man, right? Where you're no longer um, depending on or needing your parent to take care of you. So I get this specifically in the, the 21 age group guys who are just coming out of college statistically may have changed a little bit, but this was three years ago. Statistically, 53% of them are moving back in with their parents. That's fucking That's crazy. crazy to me. Okay. But then they would come to me and they'd be like, well, my mom says I can't do this. Or I'm really frustrated with my parents. They won't let me do this. And at first glance, I'm like, you're, you're a grown-ass adult. And then I'm like, well, 21 isn't really a grown-ass adult. And the American Journal of Psychology, I think three years ago, um, acknowledged age of adolescence now they've punted it to 28 i'm like yeah that makes sense right <laughs> for a number of reasons we're just growing a lot slower but the point i wanted to make there is if you are still on your parents bank, bank uh, payroll you are a child right you are a child so you're a dependent you're by, de the definition by definition yeah. you're a dependent so it's like okay well if you're frustrated that they get to still tell you when to come home <laughs> or what jobs you get to work or like get it like I'm like well, they're paying your cell phone they're paying your your car they're paying your rent they have a right to speak into your life and it's wild to me when that isn't understood right? and part of it like again I got off my mom's payroll minus rent to be fair until I was 16 but I paid for basically everything else from the age of 11 on except for rent and, and some food costs but I, I would put money in a little tin can for her so she could she never had to ask me for money. I just put it in a little tin can above the refrigerator and she'd go grab it when she needed it mm -hmm. um, to pay the bills. And yeah, that's like really that. sweet because you're allowing her to save face. Correct. Well, yes. Yeah. Safe. I wouldn't have said save face, but that's not inaccurate to say that. I just didn't, I didn't want her to look at me as the answer for her own psychology. So just knowing of like, hey, here's a sh shared pool of money that we can use whenever we yeah, need that's to. That's amazing. Um, made it easier for her to not have to ask because I, I maybe I'm old of, school but I don't think it's a cool thing for a, a mom to have to ask her no, son for that help. Would, the thought of even that even being an option like almost brings me to tears thinking about a mom having to do that like the the feeling that she would have had to experience so the fact that 11 year old Sebastian was able to tap in tune into that and understand that and be able to provide a solution that made sure she didn't have to go there is amazing yeah yeah so um it's uh, it's interesting in our society now, though, because I feel like stepping towards where we're at, it's like there's so much blame outward. And I think my life got significantly better when I understood that everything is my responsibility. Yes. Maybe not my fault. Yes. But I have to take control of everything. So explain that for those who are listening. What's the difference between fault and responsibility? Because brilliantly said... And this is a tough part in our society right now. How would you, how would you explain that to someone? So fault is something that is is the the cause of, of an instance, right? The broken relationship, the man who cheated, whatever it is. Responsibility is really the response to the instance. Right. And so the perfect example that happened to me a long time ago is one of my employees totaled a work van that I had. Hated deer. I remember the story. But she, she, but she <laughs> told me that she'd insured it. <clears throat> and I was paying monthly for insurance, so I assumed it. I didn't check the policy. Whose fault? She, was, she insured it. She crashed it. But it's 100% my responsibility because I didn't go and check the car. Oof. That is so tough for people to understand. Brilliant. It's a great story. Take it one step further. She crashed the car. Uh, a deer jumped out and, and hit it. Is it the deer's? Is it the deer's fault? Her fault? What it is is it's her. It's you know the deer's fault in that instance, but her responsibility because she chose to leave at that exact same time, drive that exact same path at that exact same speed, and hit that. Right. 
And when we tap into and understand that every we do this, life becomes not happening to us, but by us, Beautiful. which is a statement that you say frequently. And now we become the, the creator of our life and not just the victim of it. But this movement of like, I'm, I have uh, uh, ADHD, I'm, yes. you know, they have all these little boxes of limitations. I don't come from privilege. I was born in this community. I was born on this side of the tracks. I was, I have this, a list. this cause, you know, yeah. whatever. And now I there's. identify as this. <laughs> yeah. But human nature is to box things up, right? So someone's on a specific diet. Oh, you're a pescatarian. Like people can't accept you. Oh, you just eat like this. And this. It's like, right. what box are you in? Right. And so it's, it's in our nature to want to do that. And so I can understand why people want to get there. But at the end of the day, like, this victimhood is destroying our culture because it's taking away people's creative ability. And I love that you're saying this. This is, I will probably spend the rest of my life combating that level of consciousness because it is the path to enslavement for humanity. So for me, I ask questions like, well, who gains from people believing this? Who is pushing this agenda and message? What types of people and organizations are promoting that message? What is their agenda? And because I know that is, you're not going to get people to freedom believing everything is somebody else's fault. You won't. That's, that's, that's how you enslave people. And there's, it's an easy formula. You get people to think that, you get them focused on things that are out of their control. You get them to focus on things that um, they don't have. And you get them focused on the past or the future. If you can keep humanity there, they will stay enslaved. And they will innately look for somebody else to be their answer. When, in fact, as you obviously discovered for yourself, the punchline is you are your answer, right? The Calvary is not coming. It's only when you get you figured out that the army comes around you. And that's the irony. When you take responsibility for you, people come around you in community and create interdependence where we have each other's back. But you can't do that with somebody who's dependent, right? Going back to the, the thing with my mom. I would create dependence if I didn't do that right, not interdependence. And we want to live in societies of interdependence where free people come together and choose independence, interdependence with each other, not codependence. And so when you, when you get messages of it's not your fault, it's, it's not your responsibility, what you're doing is breeding a group of people who become codependent and enslaved to an ideology and likely a group of people without even realizing it. The, the, the problem, though, is that... How do you escape that? Because our the medium of, of information is is always telling this. Like, you know, the CNN, the most trusted name in news. <laughs> it's just like... Does and, anybody believe that anymore? Yes, <laughs> they do. And the thing is, is like these ideas are like, if unless you have experienced or, or, you know, remembered, right? We have an experience when I was younger, I had this thing where I realized my parents weren't telling me everything truthfully. They were speaking from their own bias. If And then that triggered a memory where I understood, okay, maybe not everything is truth. And there's, let's search for it. But if you never opened up your mind, maybe what I'm being told isn't all truthful. Then you're going to listen, accept it as truth. And, and I think the, the way, there's two points I want to... Uh, bring on there one of the things is i find being antagonistic only provokes more victimhood so instead of generally instead of just telling somebody they're wrong which most people don't like hearing that they won't listen i'll just go i'll ask a question it's like how is believing this helping you mm. how is this serving you is your life qualitatively better as a result now in the short term it may feel better because there's a relief of pressure so they may be like oh, i feel much better because it's not my my responsibility but over a period of time, they'll begin to realize this isn't bearing fruit. I'm still unhappy. I'm still enslaved. I just now have a reason, a justifiable reason in my mind to be that way or to be depressed or to be anxious. But it doesn't, I don't, I've never seen somebody take that path and then get free. They only become more ensnared in the belief system, right? Which is why eventually they get angry. And that's where you, that's like the tipping point because they get angry because their belief system isn't freeing them, right? And so then they, they that's a very dangerous person because if there's a, they get into this combination of both being very willfully ignorant and arrogant. They're ignorant to what they actually believe or the truth of what they believe, and they become arrogantly defiant about it, right? And that person generally becomes very angry because their life isn't adding up the way they want it to. And so 
I found instead of attacking that straight on, you just start asking questions. How is this belief service, uh, belief system serving you? Is your life qualitatively better, better believing it? Um, and then you get them to kind of think about what they're doing. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is you're talking about your parents. You said it twice, and I was going to say it the last time. What you're not saying is that your parents are lying to you, right? They're not. They didn't lie to you. They told you what they believed. And that's the best humanity can do, by the way, right? You, none of us, uh, save maybe a perfect avatar, which who knows if they, they're running around on Earth speaking right now. They probably don't speak. But um, the best humanity can do in, in aggregate is to commit to not lying, right? Or, which is not the same thing as saying they always tell the truth, right? You could commit to being honest, right? And so meaning your parents told you, likely, what they honestly believed. That does not mean it was true, which is different than saying that they lied to you. And we need to understand that distinction because sometimes it gets missed. It's not like, it's, and I, I mean, I don't know your parents, but I, I highly doubt. And they're, they, they're amazing. Right, and I believe they are, just by the, the human in front of me. But the intention wasn't to lie to you. They can only speak from their level of truth, right? And so as your consciousness rises, and this is, we're having a hard time with science right now because for the same reasons, but as your consciousness rises, what truth is changes. Not because the lower truths don't exist, but they're at a different perception. So for instance, if you live in California, which I do, this current weather notwithstanding, it would be easy to think that the world is a dry, arid place and all water comes from somewhere else. Well, if you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, like we did, where the rain comes from, where it rains nine months out of the year, that's a completely different experience. In order to see both of them as true, though, you would have to have a view that allows you to see both of those perspectives. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Most humans do not have the ability to do that. They see their little world and their context, and that's what they hold on as true. And so we're seeing that's the difference between linear and nonlinear thinking. And, and as you raise in consciousness, your perspective is able to change and you're able to see more. And so that's tough for people. And we lose, we lose sight of some really basic truths when we get too uh, wrapped up in relativism, which is most of the world currently. There was an English teacher in my high school who uh, made us sit and watch The Truman Show. Mm -hmm. I read an essay on it. And uh, that was a really great thing. Opening. Now I'm observing someone experiencing what I had to, to, until then been experiencing. It's like, oh, this is reality, but no, that's not reality. Reality is just an agreement that people are having that this is it is what it is yes truth is something above reality yes where truth is the fundamental being this existence of a fact and this this is a sticky conversation for a lot of people um absolutism is something that we generally loathe in our society right now as we become more postmodern and everything is relativistic um so truth is kind of taken a on a dirty kind of taint to it and we use lowercase truth to weaponize. Uh, we weaponize lowercase truths to get people to do what we want to do. I'm not certain the meat suit has the capacity to see truth objectively just because of the way it was built. Nor was it, I would argue, really built to see truth. Right? It's, the mind doesn't have the ability to discern truth from falsehood. It's not its functionality. Um, and I explain it like this for those who have our time with that idea. And usually the intellectuals freak the fuck out when I say that because their entire security is built on their arrogant uh, supposition that they, they can understand truth. But it's like this. If you, if you put 5 plus 5 in a calculator and it spit out 11, is the calculator wrong? Is, is it? No. It can't be. Now, the number is obviously mathematically incorrect, but it's only as good as the program it was entered. Mm. That's your brain. Your brain is going to produce the result of its programming, and that's the best it can do. So coming up with the wrong answer um, is simply a result of the program. So as you update your programs, your answers get better and better and better, which is hard for people to understand because they try to use their brain to get to objective truth, largely based on anecdotal evidence or their own experiences, which we know are not great ways to analyze the world from a, an accuracy standpoint. They may be relativistically accurate, meaning if you grew up in a town where everyone was a Democrat, you may think everyone is a Democrat because my experience says that everyone is a Democrat or you know, fill in the blank with your example. 
That isn't a great way to understand truth, though, um, out of context. And so this is where people get stuck because a lot of what they're discerning is true is based on their programming. The only way you get to, to higher level thinking is to examine your programming. How is it that you came to these conclusions? How is it that you see the world this way? What circumstances in your life led you to these conclusions? And then as you begin to examine them, you begin to realize, oh, wow, there's, there's a lot here to be examined. And I'm making a lot of operating assumptions about my world that may not be accurate. And that's tough for most humans to, to do, which is why change is so arduously slow in human evolution. Hmm. There's, there is talk in, in communities about us transitioning to like this kind of this almost like we're going through a big transitionary period right now. And I hear this in I hear this in communities of, of free think of you know what I'd say like people who uh, think for themselves, but I have a hard time understanding what that really means. Um, and I think this is what you know what I'm what I hear and what I kind of feel is that that's why we're experiencing so much friction. Yes. In our world is because there's like you know there's something happening, and in order it's just like you know. A, a pot of boiling water in order for the water to boil and turn into steam. There's these bubbles that, you know, the lid has to fall off and then eventually it becomes steam or lighter. Right. Yes. And it feels like we're in a very solid place right now, but there's friction happening and it's becoming lighter and there's this new era. So yes. Do you have any thoughts on this? hundred percent. Yeah. That's, uh, this is to me, it's a very exciting time, but transitions inherently are destabilizing in process because essentially you have one foot in an old way of doing things and, it, and your other foot in a new way of doing things. And as a result, you're not really stable. And you're seeing this, humanity is going through a massive transition um, where specifically in the West, uh, we're challenging the merits of academia. We're challenging the merits of capitalism. We're challenging the merits of marriage. Um, I can't think of one system right now that isn't being challenged. And that isn't inherently unique. All at one time, though, that is unique. And it, it does lead to this destabilizing feeling, right? And a lot of people feel that. There's like there's an instability in the whole system because we are in process and, and we are uh, elevating uh, consciousness. And it is, we're beginning to see a new way of looking at the world. But that tearing away process of doing that uh, creates tension because not everyone is on the same page. There isn't unity in thought and process. Now, the good news is, as, as more and more people elevate the way they look at their world, that has a compounding effect on consciousness itself and will rise, more people will rise out of that, which it just takes more and more people understanding what is going on and getting in alignment with that, and it will begin to elevate all of humanity. But it is very destabilizing, and especially for those who aren't consciously aware enough to understand what's going on that probably sounds very woo woo and like what I want to even do with that what's the practical application of thinking that way uh, but I think as far as I can tell humanity has gone through this process at least three times <laughs> probably more but at least three times and uh, we've collapsed as a result and and started over I'm hopeful that this is going to be a season that that isn't the case that we that consciousness elevates and the way that we interact with each other and how we choose to show up around one another will have a lasting impact and change. And part of it is from an intelligent design perspective, I get why it was built this way, but the meat suits behavior is largely predicated upon avoiding pain, thus fear. It's fear, fear driven um, behavior. The, in order to move from a fear driven behavior to a love driven behavior, you have to have a conscious human being. Like the, the human, the spirit that inhabits the body has to be conscious. Otherwise, if you're on, if you're on pilot, uh, uh, autopilot, you're going to default to uh, fear. And you see this. You see fear derives so much of our world. Look at fucking COVID and everything we're learning about that time period now, the, the, how nasty people were to one another, how much they judged each other for their personal decisions. And now more and more information's coming out and it's like, oh shit, like we really jumped the gun on a lot of things here. Well, why? Fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear turns humans back into animals. You want to see humans act like animals? 
just inject a fuck ton of fear into the situation and their survival mechanism will kick in. It's, I was explaining this uh, to my partner the other day, a dog, um, dogs are incredibly loving animals. A dog wagging its tail actually is emanating a energy frequency of love, which is really fascinating, which is why people who have pets generally last longer, have more satisfaction in their life, yada, yada, yada. But if you put a dog in a pond, I grew up in the country, so thus the reference. If you were swimming with your lab in the middle of a pond, and labs are very loving creatures, if it felt like it was going to drown, it would climb all over you to save itself, right? And it loves you. It's not trying to kill you, but it will kill you trying to save itself in the middle of a pond. So, you know, as a kid, we were always taught like, hey, be careful. Don't get clo too close to them because if, if they start to feel like, oh, my God, I'm going to drown. And labs are good swimmers, so something pretty drastic would have to happen there. But it would climb on you to save itself and likely kill you in the process. And that's happened where kids drown because the, the dog is climbing on them trying to keep their head above water. Okay. Well, that's why. Because it's in fear. Humans do the same thing. Fear is the mind killer. And so, and fear is the opposite of love which is, you know, for those who have any biblical reference, the number one commandment in the entire Bible by times mentioned is do not fear. And, and once we move from fear to love, this whole world changes. That's just, you know, the hippies send the word in the 1960s and 70s. This, this idea of love is one that's also been very abused and very hard to understand and can sound very impractical and woo-woo until you begin to choose the essence of love over the essence of fear, right? And, and, you begin, once you exercise that muscle, you begin to realize how different the world is and how different, and when you stand in that place, you have far more power and influence than the person that's living in fear. And so that, I think, is our work right now. Are we going to decide to choose love? Or are we going to decide to choose fear? Fear is self-preservation. Love is preservation of humanity. There's, there's a, a, a spectrum of emotions that that I refer back to all the time. You can just like Google. It's like the emotional frequency mm -hmm. scale and it shows like fear is like down here. It's, it's very like, uh, Dense. slow moving. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> Thank you for looking that up. Um, and then, but like love's like at the top. Correct. And there is a way, like <clears throat> if you watch certain coaches like Tony Robbins, he'll do this. He'll actually bring people up kind of step by step where if they're in, if they're in fear, like he'll actually like take them and raise them and not just like try to like go to love, but like he'll help them elevate. And so I think there is a way where people in, in society, like it, we can't just jump from being a scared society to being a, you know, a bunch of sheep that are scared of, we're just going to go to the slaughter to love. Like that doesn't happen. I think we have to like slowly people have to understand, they have to awaken, they have to be accepting, they have to be, you know, start doing more in life. Courage acceptance, wisdom or intelligence, love. That's your, your quick ladder of consciousness. And humanity in whole jumped to courage in the late 80s, which is really interesting because you saw the Berlin Wall go down. You saw the Cold War end. There's some pretty incredible things that happened in the late 80s um, during that time. But we saw for the first time in aggregate humanity, humanity's consciousness went over 200, which is, and I'm borrowing from Dr. David Hawkins' work in, in Transcending Levels of Consciousness, which is what you're referencing. Um, but the ability to sustain that is important. And so you're right, you don't jump from, from fear to love. In most cases, there are backdoors, and I've seen people take backdoors where they go from one to the exact opposite, and it's pretty incredible. But most people take the latter. Um, and it's just becoming courageous, right? But right below, interesting, right below courageous is pride. Pride is still all about you. Courage becomes about others. Pride is about you and self-preservation. So just making that jump goes a long ways. And so it's, it's pretty curious to see how organizations, people, music, where they score in levels of consciousness. And you want to make sure your biggest influences are above that 200 level, not below. And there's a lot of institutions right now that are operating below 200 so the starting point, if I want to improve my life, I want to improve my relationships, I want to improve just like my business, my finances, is courage. Is that courage? Yeah, that's the starting point. Now I can decide. I can I can take this the risk risk and believe in myself. And and the reason is is because courage is exercising the muscle of negating fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's choosing to act even when you're afraid. Mm, and it. that is why it has such a powerful impact on breaking that down. And that is really the entry level into growing your consciousness.
Uh, but fear is the mind killer. And you can see this again, just look at society. When, when, when groups want to motivate people, they want to manipulate people, they want to control people, they don't do it with love. They do it with fear, right? And they get them focusing on going full circle here on things they can't control, focusing on things they don't have, and they get them focused on the past or the future. And if you can get people doing that, you'll keep them in fear and they're easy to manipulate. Look at, just go through all the organizations right now. There are very few that test out of that. Most of them, on both sides of the aisle, by the way, left and right, um, tend to test into fear-based motivation because it's a really easy way to motivate people because your hardwiring is set to be motivated by fear, which I think is gross. How's, how's that being measured? And how's the society level being measured? Yeah, so uh, there's a great, uh, a great author and... Um, by the name of Dr. Uh, David Hawkins, who I really, really like. He wrote Power Versus Force, Transcending Levels of Consciousness, um, a lot of really great books. But he came up with an, a, a method of being able to test um, consciousness uh, using muscle testing for truth. And so as long as you are above 200, you can literally test the strength of something and this has been scientifically shown over and over again and reproduced so it used the scientific method to demonstrate its truth um, but you can test the level of consciousness something is held at truth versus falsehood ultimately simply by a simple muscle test where you you hold your arm straight out you can hold something in consciousness whatever it is and i'll explain that further and then somebody objectively pulls your arm down right and and, and if you'll test strong to things above 200 You'll test weak to things below 200. Um, and this was done with tribes. Like literally, there's a, some of the, the, the studies were done with tribes in the middle of, I think one of them in the middle of South America that had no idea who Hitler was and had no idea who Mother Teresa was. And in one, they held Mother Teresa against their heart, tested strong. Another one, they held Hitler against their heart, tested weak. So it didn't seem to that. They didn't need to be consciously aware of what it is they were holding or thinking. It was the... I would say, easy way to explain it, the energetic field that was having an impact on the meat suits energetic field. Uh, and so this has been replicated many times over um, in the scientific community, although there are lots of people who don't like this. And we've figured out sometime after that, his original test subjects were all high consciousness people. And so it was easy to replicate. And it was only when they moved to people below level 200 of conscious, 200 levels, um, that if you're under 200, it doesn't read accurately. Hmm. But you can... If that's way too woo-woo, I mean, go, go do the science for yourself. Read Power Versus Force if you can. Um, it's, a great, it's a great starting point. But um, if, you, if, if that's too woo-woo, just ask yourself intuitively. If you feel like you're a conscious human being that operates in love, just ask. Your, your intuition will tell you. If you're paying attention, you begin to listen to that small, still voice, you can get that information for yourself. Like, what level of consciousness is this sitting at? And you can feel it, especially when you start getting in tune. You can literally feel where somebody is at because it, it comes off. It's an energetic <coughs> reverberation and everything. So it's something you just practice. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, how are we doing on time? Well, we're over. Anything else? Anything else uh, that you're excited about right now? From a marketing standpoint, what are you seeing uh, in your field? Um, dude, I'm excited about life. Like, I just feel uh, even this conversation, this conversation didn't exist uh, in, in an environment like this 20 years. I, I wasn't around 25 years ago, 28 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever, I wasn't around. But, um, but these conversations are happening, and it's like this con the last time these, this conversation was happening was, you know, Steve Jobs having an LSD trip around a tree with some other people. <laughs> You're, that's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, it, you know, we're having it in, you know, a beautiful high-rise building. You're, you know, you're a crazy successful entrepreneur. It's like, it's, it's cool to see the, the, the conversation happening. So, yeah, man, I'm, ex I'm just excited about life. And, and my business journey, it's been like, like, <laughs> it's, it's been hard, you know? And every time some shit happens, uh, and I feel like giving up, I remind myself like, dude, I chose this path. Yes. I can go back. I can go get a job. I can go get a sales or marketing job, make a couple hundred grand a year for probably any corporation in the country I wanted to. Yep. But I chose this path. And for that reason, like I have to, I, I I'm, am going to, I'm, you know, I accept and embrace the, the, the shit, but the, 
full circle to where we came from at the start. It's like the the person becoming the process. It's like the Dylan a year ago was different. The Dylan, I mean, you you've seen it in the short time we've known each other. Yeah. And I feel now just like every single, you know, the the person before that a year before. It's like I go back to Vancouver where I'm, you know, where I'm originally from. And I'll post on Instagram and some of my old friends will ask to, to hang out and I haven't seen there's only one guy that I from my past that I see because he's he's been doing business and challenging and growing and it's not that I there's no I don't have any resistance like to hang to like seeing these people. What I have resistance to is going to the the pub we used to go to and watching a soccer game and having a couple beers. Yep. And the same guys <coughs> are still doing the same degree that I was doing eight, seven, six, seven years ago, living with this in their parents in the same bedroom, working the same job and doing the same things on the weekends. Which I, but I want to jump in there. I don't, I would say, and, and I don't think you are, it's important to understand that it's not judging the person for that path. Everybody's on their own path, but it is an easy way when you leave your hometown or how you grew up to be able, that's the baseline litmus test for what your life would look like if you didn't continue to grow and why it's good to orientate yourself towards growth. And maybe we could argue the merits of, well, what's wrong with not changing? What's wrong with not, with not growing? And particularly, I think some people come in, drop into this lifetime and, and aren't, their first, mer- their first uh, desire isn't to grow. But when you are growing, it becomes readily apparent when you go home. And the same thing, from, you grew up in, outside of Vancouver. I grew up in a little town called Squim, uh, my graduating class had 154 people in it. There were a few thousand people in, in the city limits. It's grown some since I've left. But it's crazy to me when I go back to see the same people, and I'm, I'm a little bit older than you are, doing the same thing from when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. Right? Like, and I'm like, okay. Like, if, if you're happy, but to me, that's it, right? If you're happy and you, and you feel like you're living your best life, I'm not here to judge that, uh, but it does give you a kind of a perspective when you see that, like, wow, that could have been me. That's that's the interesting thing, and, and thanks for translating it to make it sound less douchey. <laughs> <laughs> because I do care about those people, and they're you know, they're, and I want them to be you know happy too. And if that's the path, like not everyone's an entrepreneur. I used to believe everyone should be an entrepreneur. Now that I have you know a lot of employees, like you know, I'm like, oh, like that person shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Like that person's incredibly happy getting their you know their check every month so but it's just like with weight loss if you don't if someone loses weight or gains weight whatever it is and you don't see them for a year that's it's like wow like dude you're fat (laughs) or the opposite they lose a bunch of weight and they look great like who are you right who are you and that, that one's funny for me because without without exception if you see somebody you haven't seen for a very long time and they've lost a bunch of weight and they look great what's the first thing we do Usually we ask them, what'd you do? Right. Right? Why are we asking that question? Because we'd love to believe they discovered some formula, <laughs> some secret pill, some something hidden that if we just figured it out, we could do that too. Right? And so we always ask, hey, what did you do? And then they go, well, you know, I started eating clean and, you know, watching what I eat and I work out three or five times a week. And you're like, ah. Right. Because, you know, that's the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the answer. You just want to believe it's something else. Uh, And we do that with business. Right. Somebody does really well in business. Go, What did you do? And you're like, well, I worked really hard. (laughs) You're like, like, roll your eyes. and You're like, ah, no, like, give me the give me something else. Tell me it's something else. Um, But I think I think being able to go back into those environments and see people where they're at and connect with them where they're at is an honor to them and not to judge them for it, mm. right? Like, if the only reason for me to disconnect completely would be if I believe somehow associating myself would be compromising my energy. But but sometimes when I, I avoid it because for me, I feel bad. I feel like I can't even say what I'm doing because if it feels unreal. In their, that, their reality, it's like this guy's lying or... Something. So I may offer. Please. There may be your own work to do there to release that. And two, don't talk about yourself. Just focus on them. Mm. So I do this regularly. I re- I'm to the point where I'm awkward about talking about myself. What's going on myself. in your world? What, yeah. you know, what's new with you, right? And yeah. What do you say? 
Uh, I usually give some vague response and it's enough for most people. I'll say, life's good, man. Life's really good. And that's generally what I say. And then if they're interested, that as a whole, the quality of the answer is based on the quality of the question. So if you give me a vague exchange of pleasantry question, I'm likely going to give you a vague exchange and answer, right? Hey, what's new with you? What's going on, bro? Like that's a very common exchange of pleasantry, right? Good. Life's good, man. Really good. How's the kids? How's the fam? Great. Everything's great, bro. Right now, if they get into it, you know, what do you do? What are you doing with your time? What, what? It's like one of my favorite questions to ask people if I want to engage in real conversation is, what's holding your attention right now? Where are you putting your energy? What are you focused on? What are you excited about? What aren't you excited about? Um, those questions start to unpack the person. And so if they're not asking those kinds of questions and I don't want to engage, I won't. I'll ask them those questions and hear what's going on in their life. And I much prefer to talk about other people than myself, meaning listen to other people talk about themselves and what's going on with them to share about me. But in doing so, very often you're elevating, you can elevate consciousness just by how you show up. You don't have to say anything and don't even talk about what's going on in your life to simply be present with other people. And in many cases, that will have an elevating effect. Hmm. I, I do know that if, if I'm unhappy, someone's unhappy, like I think the fastest way to change that is to change your location. And because if I stayed there, I probably would have stayed in that. And this is my experience, right? And I moved and I was able to recreate. And when you move, when I moved location, I was able to be whoever I wanted to be and then become that version of myself. Yes. And I think that I felt constricted. And so then I moved and I was able to, to, you know, change the change who I was. And it wasn't my mom and dad treating me like little, the little kid anymore, like seeing me as that kid because they didn't see me for a couple of years because of COVID and because, you know, I was living out here and all that stuff. And then now like I'm a different human going back there yes. and now they treat me as the new human and I'm no longer in the pattern of being the kid, this Dylan, whatever. And I broke free. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of powerful principles there that I want to outline. Um, one is, especially in youth, I would offer we're not qualified to stay until we're willing to go. Right? So many people, there's a rite of passage that has been lost in manhood that we need to bring back. And that is this idea that it is our ability to leave that qualifies us to stay. If you are not willing to leave or cannot leave, staying is probably the wrong answer because it's who you become in that process. Okay, so there's that. I will also say, though leaving and exploring the world, which I'm a strong advocate of because it gives you a different perspective, um, can help you grow up. If you don't deal with your shit, it comes with you. So I've seen lots of people leave a particular scene to go somewhere else only to find that scene in whatever new city or new town or new neighborhood they're in because the issue is inside of oneself. That isn't to say though that putting yourself in a new environment can't be the exact catalyst to help you grow because very often it is. But if we don't deal with our internal shit, it still comes back, right? It still shows up in our new community because it's, it's what we resonate with energetically. In, in the social media world, I faced that head on because there was a time I had, you know, a few thousand followers and it was like, Dylan, time to start posting like the business content, the content. It's like, but what about the cute girl I had a crush on? Like, what's she going to think? One of my buddies that I played soccer with, all these things came up and, uh, and someone told me, he's like, dude, if, if you're going to run, just, you're going to like go start a new account and start posting on there. That's not, you're going to face the same issue. Yep. Post the shit, do it, face it head on. You'll break through whatever that pattern is, that cycle is. And then now you won't be trying to run away what people, from what people 100%. Think. Deal with your fear. Deal with those stories. Because if you run from them, they're just going to show up again. And what's worse is over time, if, you're, if your desire is for truth and for growth, those things will come back with friends. <laughs> and it's harder the further you go. And not harder in the sense of it's meant to be, uh, it's not meant to be, uh, to hurt you, it's meant to help you. It's that when you deny an opportunity to grow and change, when it comes back and that opportunity arises again, it will be even more intense before to ensure or promote 
your desire to change, which is where we get the saying, sometimes we don't change until staying the same is more painful than changing. Um, but this is absolutely the truth. When you get to these periods of fear, walk through those doors. And I see this with, with people who are pursuing success early in life. They'll be frustrated by somebody. They'll be frustrated by a coworker or a partner in their business or whatever it is. And, and certainly there are times when the best choice is to walk away. But very often it's, it's because they're not growing and learning. And so they run in an avoidance style and they don't deal with that problem. And it, the pressure goes off and they're like, oh, thank God, I'm so much happier and I'm not having to deal with that. And then they keep pursuing success. And then, oh, lo and behold, here's that fucking issue again, right? Three years later and it's like, fuck, were you going to deal with it this time? Are you going to walk through the door? Or are you going to run again? And it's our choice. Are we going to run? Or are we going to walk through these doors? And here's the cool thing. Once you get through that boss battle, it goes away more often than not. It, it's like you, you don't keep dealing with it. It's like it's no longer an issue for you anymore. There are caveats and exceptions to that. But as a whole, um, it's something that's behind you. And that's important because the battles you win, the lessons you learn aren't just for you. Everybody in your social circle that is connected to you and your leadership gains that win. Because now you have the, the energetic alignment to teach that to others, right? That which it's caught more than taught. So now you're supporting a new level of consciousness that everyone gets to inherit from. That's why some of the biggest truths are caught, not taught. Well, this has been an epic conversation. Um, I couldn't think of a better person to jump on and to kick off our, our first podcast. So I appreciate you jumping on, brother. Before we let you go, uh, where can people find you? What are you doing right now? Uh, how can we support you and your business? Yeah, so uh, I think just connect, uh, you know, connect with me on Instagram, Dylan Vanas, uh, D-Y-L-A-N-V-A-N-A-S. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the marketing realm. I help people grow their personal brand. Uh, and then I have a software company where people can actually tap into it and kind of have the marketing done for them. Um, that's, that's kind of what I'm focused on. But really what excites me is being able to grow in and have more conversations like this. Because for... Yeah, dude, for, for me, it's like the business stuff. It's like kind of what people, at least my audience, is resonating with. But what's really like my truth, and we've spoke about this before, it's like what I really like want to be doing is being able to help guide, you know, just help with this, right? Yes. So uh, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's a great conversation, and, and this your podcast is going to crush it. Thank you, brother. I'm, I'm really excited, too. And it, we'll talk more about this, and I'm excited about working with you. We've got a couple different projects we've been talking about, but putting together this league of extraordinary people who they're excellent at their craft, but they're also conscious. So one of my frustrations just to land the plane here is the woo woo community, as I call them is somewhat frustrating for the doers, right? Because they tend to be more in the being camp and there's a running joke and it's somewhat true, but not totally true, but that they're so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good, right? They're so, in the clouds about spirituality that they're not practical and they're not able to teach practical truths and they haven't demonstrated excellence uh, in a way that makes people want to listen. The easiest way to teach people truth is to demonstrate the truth, right? And that's hard for a lot of people in the woo-woo community. Like, well, I don't want to be in this world. It's like, okay, we'll be, you know, maybe not of this world, but you got to function in the world. And so if we want to demonstrate spiritual technology, if we want to demonstrate spiritual truth, we have to live it in excellence. And people will pick up on that, and now they're listening. And to me, one of the perfect examples of that is Jesus. Jesus, before he ever spoke the truth, he demonstrated the truth. People listen to him because when homie shows up and he's healing people and walking on water and calming storms, people are like, all right, fuck, there's a truth he understands here that goes far beyond what we think we get. Then when he starts speaking it, they're listening, right? And so being excellent at whatever your craft is, so being excellent at marketing, coming through for people in that world, it's like that isn't oh, I, I do this, but I really am about this. It's how do I use this to help do this? Word.